Welcome back to the Dungeon Master's Block, the place where we come to talk about the Dungeon Master, the most important person in the game, the only person capable of playing God, killing characters, and lowering the ego of everyone else at the table. I'm your host for today, DM Neil, aka Jote Moniac, and today we have a DMnastics takeover because Celeste Conowich and I are going to talk all about rewarding your players. Um, it's a it's a great topic, and we definitely dive into some aspects that have never been codified officially by Watsi. So hopefully, it is a helpful and useful conversation for your game and your table. But with that out of the way, let's head to the meat. I'm starving. We ain't had nothing but maggoty bread for three stinking days. Why can't we have some meats? Looks like meat back on the menu, boys. So today for the meat, we have, a, it's not a guest. You're not even a guest. You're part of the crew. You're part of the BPPN, the Block Party Podcast Network. So that means you are just simply wearing a different hat today. But we have Celeste Conowich. I didn't even write anything down. So I guess, do I just try and go off of memory of all the amazing things that you're doing? Uh, if that could be fun, I guess. <laughs> Let's see. <laughs> well, I mean, certainly the DM of Venture Maidens, an all-fin presenting actual play, 5th edition, um, that's been going on for six years. You, I, I believe so, because mm-hmm. you all keep mentioning six years in the podcast, so that's mm-hmm. why that's mm-hmm. in my brain. Mm-hmm. Um, it is wonderful. They are on campaign two, and if memory serves, it, the last one that's on my podcast feed is episode eight, um, which I need to catch up on. And if you go to your RPG shelf and just kind of peruse through, inevitably you will find... The name Celeste. <laughs> uh, yes, I've done a, cu- a couple different books, working yeah. as a full-time game designer and doing some part-time uh, work for companies like Wizards of the Coast, Cobalt Press, MCDM Productions. So perhaps you own something I have written. Or yeah, just like hang out on Twitter for like a like a day, and you'll find five streams you're probably going to be on. Probably, be probably. Actual <laughs> plays or discussions or if nothing else, you've probably heard her on DMnastics, another show on this very network. Yes, I'm excited. I mean, I'm I'm now I feel like I've stepped out of the little gym and I'm here in in a bigger gym or is this the gym like branch of the larger block? I guess okay, yes. okay, wait. Yes, the gym is on the block. I'm excited to be here running around in the streets. Uh yes. hey, it's me. What's up? <laughs> Perfect. You've been here once <laughs> Once or twice before, but we are back. Um, and it's just you and I, which means we're probably going to have way too much fun. Um, but oh, no. we've alluded to it, and I, w- I would be remiss because I just think it's funny to ask you some of these questions just to hear your answers. But Celeste, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Long walks on the beach, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. anything like that? Yeah, yeah. So like I mentioned, uh, I work as a full-time game designer. So that means I spend my days and nights and weekends writing uh, Dungeons & Dragons primarily. So uh, I am a full-time employee with 2C Gaming, uh, which is a third-party publisher of Dungeons and Dra- Dragons. Um, and then I, yeah, I, like I said, I do a lot of um, freelance work with with those aforementioned companies. Most notably, um, I guess, for Wizards of the Coast, I was one of the writers on Icewind Dale: Rime of the Frostmaiden. And when I'm not writing D and D, yeah, you can you can catch me producing, DMing Venture Maidens, um, or you know I'm the co-founder, co-owner of the Penwich Studio Podcast Network, which works to uplift rarely heard voices in in the nerd community. And other than that, yeah, I mean I like 
video games and um, board games and um, the, everything on that theme. I do not like okay. long walks on the beach because it is very yeah. sunny outside. <laughs> but even if it's not sunny, it's just so hard to walk a long distance on the beach. I don't know what person ever thought it was ever thought or like running on the beach those those monsters who you see in like little little shorts running around (laughs) along the sandy shores why that's challenge mode that's difficult terrain is what that is yeah baywatch was never in slow motion that's just how fast you run on a beach it's so slow yeah painfully so we're going to take a hard lift. Is there anything that you're currently working on? And of course, I know this very well that you can tell us about. Yes. Uh, so right now, actually, as of this very moment recording this on November 12th, uh, I am involved in a Kickstarter uh, from 2C Gaming. Currently, we are kickstarting a project called Rewards and Rarities, which is a comprehensive comprehensive guide to adventuring awards so uh and of course compatible for D fifth edition so essentially this is a giant tome about all of the different things you can reward your party with everything from an expanded catalog of adventuring gear to new weapons to mounts to hirelings to rules for vehicles vessels and of course a ton of brand new magic items that are themed for and designed for each of the base sub or base classes in Dungeons and Dragons. Definitely. And to change only a little bit about that statement, um, has already been kickstarted and then kicked and kicked and kicked. I know um, we just hit another stretch goal before this yes. recording. And I I I'm honestly though, I'm not surprised because I feel like a lot of the information and tools and mechanics we're developing in this book have been something sorely needed in 5th edition. So I feel really great about the support so far because we're making something here that people need desperately. Yeah, I think it's, in well, we'll save that for the meat of the <laughs> podcast. Okay, so... My surprise question. Surprise question. I'm ready. What is the last board game that you played? Ooh, uh, let's see. The last board game I got to play, my friend Lisa got the new Stardew Valley board game oh, that was okay, like yeah, yeah. that was kickstarted and then she got one of the early release copies. So we got to play through that. That was super duper fun. Um it was one of those, you know, you all work together games and thank God because boy, there's a lot going on, but it was super fun. Done. Okay. So that leads us right into our topic at hand, which we're going to address to some degree and certainly almost give you a sneak peek into all the things you could find in this book and hopefully a valuable conversation. Um, valuable being the keyword because we're going to talk about rewarding our players. Treasure. Player characters. Rewarding our players is probably just having free food, but yeah. rewarding our player characters. <laughs> Order a pizza. For your players and then give them treasure for for their characters. To frame it, I, I think it's good to have a short conversation about the weird gap in 5th edition, even though we're – a lot of people seem to think 2014. I would always say 2015, but whatever. So we're six years into yep. the run of 5th edition and there is really nothing that would tell me how to just go buy a magic item. Right. It is something that they have actively avoided talking about. 
for reasons unknown, especially because the currency of the world and success remains gold pieces. Mm-hmm. But the thing that could gain the most advantage for my character is a magic item. So I would have liked to think that there would be a go between, you know, like when I'm a kid and I got to draw a line from this thing to that thing, that there's some line I some, could draw. Some kind of line to use. Gold pieces and magic items. Yeah, I feel like for whatever reason, maybe it's because Wizards was burned by past editions, but the the whole question of economics, of how gold is supposed to be spent, of how much you're supposed to give, what you're supposed to earn, where you can find it, it's, it's all a big question it's like they've wanted to avoid or not specify. So we have some half answers, some clues scattered through a couple different books. They're always small. The pricing is always very strange and the downtime rule. And it's all just a big mess (laughs) in general. Yeah. And there is something certainly to be said about an idea that like, I still feel like, again, referencing the five to six years of fifth edition, I still feel like I'm only barely grasping because it's not how I was dm raised that unless it's an official in an official watsi book it's not gonna go into my game right and i get it i totally get it it's like these are the people that write the book they're the people that write the game they're the people i get my rules from if it's not in those rules then that's just not how my game functions but the idea that like well then what do i do but i also <laughs> get it from their perspective yeah <laughs> from their perspective of like once i codify it that's the standard. Yeah. But if I leave it open, then you can decide, is it a low magic setting? Is it a no magic setting? Is it buried in magic setting? Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. you can do whatever you want. So the first question I have is so ambiguous, but I'm going to throw it out. <laughs> Celeste, when should we start giving rewards to our players? Characters. Yeah. I keep writing players. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think as soon as possible because I – some. So one of the things that frustrates me so much about the nebulous nature of magic items currently and pricing and just, you know, treasure tables that just aren't great, getting loot, getting treasure, getting magic items is so integral to fantasy storytelling. I mean, you look across all the books and novels and everything that has made the genre what it was, like Lord of the Rings wouldn't be anything without the ring, you know? So it is such a a cornerstone of the types of stories people want to tell. And I don't think people have a satisfying D&D experience unless they do get rewards like that. You know, you work hard, you get something at the end of the day, whether it's uh, gold, you know, for completing a quest, whether it's learning new information, getting access to new powers, whatever it is, that is built into the nature of the game. So if your players aren't feeling like they're they're getting something in return for all of the things they're doing, all the people they're saving and fighting, that game is probably going to fizzle out. So I like to immediately, you know, reward your players for for doing well, even if it's giving them, you know, hey, this check lets you get this extra little bit of information or wow, you killed that goblin so fast. Good job, new player. Look, here, here's some loot. Like, so you encourage these behaviors 
as often as possible to almost train them how to play Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> ah, carrot, not the stick. <laughs> yes. Well, it is one of those things where, and again, the reward, and I think it's one of the very first things, even because, surprise, you sent me over the some of the assets. Um, but the idea of, like, it doesn't have to just be magic items. And that that's certainly a trap that I have always <laughs> fallen into. Yes. Um, <laughs> It, like a lot of us do, um, because they're cool things, and we want to see them on the table. And then, mm-hmm. and then all deep, of a sudden, there's so we many. We regret every choice <laughs> that we've made. Yes. But the idea that like rewarding the things that you want to continue to happen in the game, like like you have to set those standards. So I think that's probably the question of the question is what are the things that you want to reward your players for doing? Yeah, I mean, this is something that. Because when when we first launched this product or, you know, I was first talking to people about it, people were like, why would I want this book? I don't need another magic item compendium. I don't need a bunch of new magic items. And I'm like, no, no, that is, yes, there are new magic items in this book, but that is not the the heart of what is going on here. In this book, we provide so many different options. So GMs and even players can get inspired to uh, to find new things, to reward new things, to explore and try new things with their characters, to be able to to get and unlock different things and access to the world. So, I mean, what are the kinds of rewards you want to get? You want to get things like um, influence is something we get. Uh, we, we cover like lands, like if you become very wealthy, uh, maybe if you have people who work for you, so hirelings, maybe if you want to invest your resources into getting like a way to roll around the world or transport yourself different places, uh, make your adventure more easy. Uh, so you get like awesome tools that can make things better so like expanded adventuring gear um new types of weapons like we give options for like finding uh new materials that you can incorporate into your existing equipment to upgrade so basically i mean it's it's almost limitless the types of things you can reward your players with and it's really only limited by their creativity and what you're willing to allow or not. Uh, so Rewards and Rarities presents a whole array and range of those type of options to help you think outside of the box, basically. Yeah, because the, yeah, the box gets really cramped once it's only just full of magic items. Mm-hmm. Um, because then you think about usually... Usually you have it in your mind as a DM, GM, or anything in between that there's a, a stop point or a success or something like that. And it does ring a little hollow depending on what is there and like yeah. how how much the, f- the players feel like they've gotten. Certainly there's an aspect that it's like one of the rewards is experience and now you've leveled. But yeah, that's yeah. kind of not what, we're, hit- not what yeah. we're hitting on. So one of the things I always think about is once they've completed an area, which you just alluded to, like do they get that area? Yeah. That's always what I think, like, first and foremost. Is this area theirs now? Not that I want to just give them everything. but Right. Or if they, you know, they defeat the evil wizard who kept this land, like, you know, ensorcelled and everyone was terrified and afraid and the wizard is suddenly gone. Do they become the masters, the rulers of this land? I'm sure the people would certainly want them to. Or, you know, what happens when they they are sent by a god to fulfill a quest and then they do? 
Like, shouldn't the god give them some kind of cool uh, blessing, charm, powers, like rewards that go on uh, beyond? A god certainly isn't going to hand you like a a stack of gold and say, "There you go, good job." <laughs> You've done it here. You've done it. If you check your bank account. <laughs> I've wired transfer million you, gold. Um, ten- <laughs> Yes, that you cannot carry anywhere. The other thing is definitely having in mind those people that the that the player characters and the players themselves really attach themselves to. Yes. Um, there's something that's really interesting about the idea that a reward becomes the success of that NPC that they are really attached to. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, something... Yeah, that was a huge thing uh, I really wanted to address in this book, um, specifically in like the the followers and hirelings chapter. Uh, so we provide a lot of additional systems and rules mechanics that very easily incorporate with what already exists. And basically, these mechanics make it viable to travel with like a horse, or if you have a friend, an NPC commoner friend in the party, they don't instant die if you use some of the options we've provided here. And you can spend time training your animals, for example, so they might have combat training so they can take a reaction to get out of the way when a fireball goes off, or they have things like like toughness uh, that will allow them to not drop instantly to zero. So allowing people to be more creative and to have a little bit more fun without being so worried all the time about everything exploding because everyone in the world is made of glass except for you know adventurers uh we have options for that sorry just think of all all the npcs that have died terrible terrible deaths all the horses that have died. Yeah, I know. It's you get so punished if you have that horse and you want to go into a dungeon and that's like uh-oh what do we do? I, we bought all these horses yeah, or- just to get here. And now, what, we leave it outside? A random encounter is going to happen? They're going to die? Like, this This is terrible. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just rolling the percentage die to see when and why the horses are dead. Um, the I know. It just happens so many times. And so we just, yeah. Yeah, you just, you, yep, you took a pet in. It dies a terrible death. Yep. Um, now, all that said, there is certainly magic as well yes but before we get to magic one of the questions you certainly have to ask is how much magic is in your setting then you start to play the classic line from the thor movie the only difference between science and magic is what you want to call it um that kind of concept so mundane items also can be really helpful um like true tapping into the magical weave and creating an item doesn't have to happen for it to be a reward. I know that's an area that was touched on as well, because the other thing is certainly that a lot of campaigns kind of don't go as high as we all think they do. Yeah. And I think also one of the challenges currently with, with treasure and with rewards is it doesn't scale very well, the current system here. Because I've been in this situation before, certainly, where my party gets to uh, such a high level and we have so much money and then nothing to spend it on. 
Nothing at all, because you can't buy magic items, I guess, according <laughs> according to the books. They're so rare and yep. so hard to find. And then beyond that, also, like, you, you don't want to invest in things like mounts at high level because they'll just auto-die. You don't really want to... You, well, you can't, like, run a business while you're off adventuring. It's... So there's not a lot to do with gold at higher levels currently. So that is certainly one of the the issues we wanted to fix. So, I mean, a big section of this book is um, magic item pricing. So it provides guidelines uh, for you to price magic items. It gives suggestions on when magic items might be available for sale. So, and then we break that down too by different types of, of setting. So setting based, like you've been mentioning, if you have a low magic setting, obviously pricing is going to be different than if you're playing in a high magic setting like Eberron, where everything around you is just, you know, every street lamp is magic. So that is something we really wanted to consider. Uh, pricing based on availability and then on scale as well. So you can have rewards for all of these different levels of play that actually feel satisfying. And so when you get gold at any level, now you have some options to spend on. You can hire an army, you can, you know, build your own teleportation circle, you can upgrade your mobile fortress with an alchemical lab, like whatever you want to do doing this at different levels is a huge consideration. And I think part of that too is giving people more things to spend gold on means more non-magical rewards. Because yes, in a lot of settings, magic items are really hard to get to. So that's why we wanted to give a lot of options for, yeah, you can go back to this huge table of new adventuring gear options and maybe you can just buy some sweet like glamping stuff to make your <laughs> to make your journeys yes. a little easier. Like that is a cool way to reward your players. And then they they have things that they can use to interact with the world in specific situations uh, that don't just, you know, break the game wide open and do make those magical item rewards feel really special. I think about the idea of like, um, you know, you have rope trick and spells that are similar to that, but almost like building that into your tent. And so then it's yeah. like a perfect environment the second you go inside of it. The other thing I think, and this is, I have emotions and ideas attached to it. So <laughs> we'll see how deep I go into this rabbit hole. There are times in which we can apply real world logic to our games. It is very foolish to do it on a consistent basis or the idea that everything needs to fall into these because, again, there's a lot of magic. But the one that I think of right now is like, if my player characters are in fact that filthy, filthy rich mm -hmm. with gold, they 100% could find any magic item yeah. in the world. Yes. <laughs> because that is what rich people do mm -hmm. in our world. You can hire people to find you magic items. Like, why Why isn't that addressed? Like, of course that's an option that would exist logically, but currently not. Yes. Yeah. You could, you could literally put out like a thousand gold bounty on any information for XYZ artifact and you would get, I mean, certainly you, you would deal with a lot of fake stuff, which I mean, at that point, would be a campaign all its own that we can spiral <laughs> out into, which we will not. But the idea that like you couldn't find it, like there would be services built around adventuring parties and finding them their magical items. 
Yeah. I mean, and that's so in rewards and rarities, we cover a ton of services, including things like that. Mm-hmm. So like, why not? You know, why can't your adventuring party hire another adventuring party to do the quest they don't want to do? Or, you know, why don't they why can't they buy an army for the final fight of your campaign uh, to, you know, fight yeah. off all the all the baddies while you go deal with a big one? Uh, you know, hire an archmage to give your sword a plus one. Why would that be so hard to do is my, is my question. And I don't think it should be. And rewards and rarities is that answer. Yeah, it's really interesting because one of the things that keeps coming up in my brain is the idea that some of this is just a codification of things that are happen that have happened for decades. It's mm-hmm. almost like, and I know it's not written in this way, but like there, it's almost like you could just have a journal of stuff other people did. Um, because that, that's what's starting to come to mind when I, when I talk about the idea of like, what could they, and this kind of gets us into the section of some of the best and worst ideas that we've done, um, <laughs> you and I. So one of the better ones, and we'll just start there is that they cleared a section of a dungeon that was already being occupied by humanoids Um, because like sure like if they go into the deeper fungal area that was only these evil myconids like i don't necessarily think they're going to be like yeah this is our home now (laughs) we're myconid people but but it was this evil you know evil whatever rogue encampment and then they got rid of them all and that's where they lived because everything was already set up like they would want it. Yeah. Um, that, that sort of thing. Um, so yes, good ideas, bad ideas. What are anything in between that of, of rewards that you have given your players? Yeah. I, I have two that, that instantly come to mind. Both of these were from my 3.5 campaign that I ran for almost five years. It was a wild addition, folks, for magic items in particular and just Ooh. the, the, the power level of things was was uh banana pants so the first one i had it was like a little vial that had just like a piece of like nerul in it like nerul's little kind of like a nerul phylactery and nerul for those who don't know very very evil god of death undeath like very nasty very nasty greyhawk uh deity so i of course you know had this item inserted into you know the story and they had to take the item and they were warned absolutely do not open it of course and just take this to this place and it can be cleansed and whatever so of course automatically they open it right um and then this yep that i mean this little piece of the roll came out and basically they all all their life force was eaten and they all got like the undead template so from that point on, because at that point in 3.5, you could apply templates to your player characters. So they were all undead now running around. And this template was extremely powerful, super backfired. Basically, you know, no more worrying about poison and you were just immune to a bunch of different types of damage when you run dead. And it, it was a whole thing that in the moment I was like oh yeah this cool like you know guard of death thing and like this is what this does and it'll be like really nasty if somebody takes it and opens it and they just of course opened it up and I was like oh this could be fun and it was a huge regret <laughs> for for having to deal with the, the rest of having an undead party in 3-5 was um was a pain in the butt yep. so that that's one 
I also, in that same campaign, a uh, different, different phase of that, uh, they basically did a favor for a god. And the god said, all right, you can have a wish. Whenever you <gasps> oh. need to use this, you can make a wish and I will grant this for you. And again, the wish spell in 3-5, significantly more powerful than the, five edition, the yes. 5e edition you might be used to. And so they held on, they sat on that wish. They sat on that wish for months and months and months until I, I definitely forgot about it. And then um, they basically wished away the the villain, like the invading, the entire invading force like that was driving the whole campaign. They basically banished them and they were gone and they couldn't get back. And I was like, oh boy. <laughs> so I, they used that wish and the whole villain, the whole plot disappeared in an instant. So those were my two like big like rewards I gave that really, oh boy, that, yeah. I just remember them them doing that. And then I was like, I need to, okay, let's take a break. I'll just, and I went, kind of went outside and sat down. I was like, what do I do next? It'd be like, or it makes me think of um, if in Avengers Endgame, rather than like everything happening from the scene of where he's like on my left and all the portals open up and all the people show up, there's this epic battle. It's just Snap and Thanos' army is just gone. Gone. Yeah, yeah. It's like, oh. That was was something else. (laughs) Yeah, that's Uh, exactly what happened. um, So, yeah. Yeah. Cool, cool, cool. So there is absolutely a scale that exists <laughs> between you. Rewarding yeah. well can be a challenge. Yeah, I, I did, and you know, longtime listeners will know of the whole. Sometimes you like you get yourself into a hole because you allow the players to roll. Um, and it's a piece of advice I've given before, um, and I give it again. If if you're in a scenario where you're not comfortable with the party rolling a one or a twenty, you shouldn't probably have them. Yeah, roll. don't have them roll. Um, because inevitably they will either roll a one or a 20 when yes. you would least want that to happen. Um, so yeah, they reversed tracked the owl, an owl bear that they had killed that they probably should have run from, but got lucky mm-hmm. and then like found that there were babies and then sold them at a price that makes sense. But then like, I shouldn't have let, I shouldn't have let any of this happen. <laughs> um, then they had just, so much money yeah. very, very early on. And it just like skewed things in this super weird way from then on. Yeah. What do I do? Do Because then you, you think like, do I stop rewarding them in game because they have so much? But then that, again, then we go back to like these things that they complete ring hollow because they're not receiving rewards. So then you have to find those alternate methods. But yeah, I, I made a bad choice. It's hard. It's it's hard. It is hard to do. And this is something I, I like to bring up. I, it is hard to give people gifts in real life. And that mm-hmm. extends into Dungeons and Dragons as well. Like, it is so hard to get like the perfect birthday gift for somebody you care about. There is a very small percentage of the population that is just good at knowing what people want and delivering that successfully. So why do we have these wildly high expectations on ourselves as GM to just figure it out? 
um, it's hard, and I think people need help. I I certainly need help, like making these decisions and figuring things out. That's why I, I you know I'm constantly asking my players for feedback to open up the conversation and rewards and rarities talks a lot about how to have those kind of conversations with your party. Cause it's just, I mean, it's a great analogy and it's just as difficult because, you know, let's, you know, we can use ourselves as examples like, Oh no. Okay. So I know Celeste is going to have a birthday and I'd like to get her something, but like, I'm not really sure what it is. So I have to just like super awkwardly try and ask questions without just like, yeah, just without being obvious about it or, you know, and then you're like, what did they already have this? Or like, should I, or like, wait, they're like moving soon. Maybe I shouldn't get them something (laughs) or like, it just, it's, yeah. it's so painful <laughs> all the time. It's, yeah, the exact, the exact same as give, gift giving. And you're right. Some people are just so good at it and others. But are most just, people are not. It is a very small percentage of people who just know what to do and nail gifts every time. It's like a superpower. Jerks. I know. My friend Katie from the Venture Maidens is like that. She's, uh, she's mm, what a blessing. I can see that. Yep. What a gift. <laughs> mm-hmm. I love having friends like that, but honestly, we're not. We, we can't all be. We can't all be like that. So, what is a good reward that you have given? Mm. I think yes. Um, so, something that I gave away in Venture Maidens Campaign One, and something that is going to be in both the Venture Maidens Campaign Guide and Rewards and Rarities, because it's just it's such a good magic item, uh, is a magic sword. That basically a a, a a fae heard the story of King Arthur and Excalibur and thought that was super neat. So she basically made her own version of this sword. And when our adventuring party came along, she hurled it at them and was like, take my, up my blade, champion. And the fun of this, and these are the type of magic items I really love, the ones that have story hooks already built into them, was uh, the item was cursed, which is something that, the barbarian who picked it up, she knew, she knew it was cursed, um, but decided to use it anyway. Basically, as you were using this blade and performing heroic deeds in the name of this fae, the blade got more and more powerful. It would unlock more and more abilities every time you did something like worthy of the blade. But if you ever used any other weapon, the fae and the sword would become incredibly jealous and you would just basically whiff with every other, you could not attack. You would have disadvantage using any other weapon other than this sword. So that was a very, very fun reward uh, to watch my player going back and forth with like struggling with that, but then loving the sword and then, you know, trying to meet these expectations and... It um it was it was cool. It became a major part of their character and their their journey. Uh, so rewards like that, I think that tap into who your characters are and give them choices. It, and it's not just one choice. It's it's a you know, do I keep this thing? How do I interact with this? How do I feel about this? Uh, do I take it up even though I know? That there, there's a chance that something terrible could happen if I do. Uh, that kind of stuff. Yep. Can't use that yeah. bow ever again. Nope. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Well, that's – well, I mean, I love that. And the idea that – of, I mean, using the the term curse is 
required because of mechanics, yeah. but almost like I, if there were a way to say, no, it has stipulations, yes. not really a curse, it just has guidelines you need to follow. It has rules. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, I alluded to giving them the, the area that they could stay in, giving them... So in my in my recent campaign, they're playing through Ghosts of Saltmarsh, and it's not really built in there that they would get these things. But at this point, they have two ships, uh, and because that's just not really how it's up air quote written, but mm, it made more yeah. sense as they started to go on to one have their own, and just the way they felt about that one, it made sense to add the other. Yeah, but it also like retroactively assists me because then they are required to spend money on that ship. Or else, fun fact, those people won't just keep floating around for free. You yeah. got to pay them or they're just going to drive off. Um, yeah. So kind of, I think, like the goal, because that's what they've alluded to, and then furthering that road is just like building a fleet and then figure out cool ways to add certain things and then engage with those things that I add as rewards. That's the other thing is like once you give that reward, trying to go back to it, figure out what ways you can just to keep keep it viable because let's say you know i mean not that you would but let's say you give that sword and then you go for the next rest of the campaign in a purely diplomatic avenue yeah and they never get to draw draw that sword well cool i mean the sword's great but literally none of the things that made it great are being accessed through the campaign yeah you i mean you really do have to that's that's my big gripe i think with a lot of treasure tables and how things currently work now because it's all randomly generated what magic items you get that it mm. it sort of feels like i don't know I, I feel like i swing on my bad days with rewards i swing between oh no i'm the gm who gave my party so many items that they do not remember what they have and they've never used this and it just goes in their bag i give them something it doesn't even matter and it's terrible or i'm the gm who like gives an item that oh I, I gauged that wrong and then it like breaks the game and it's just a whole yep. nightmare and like oscillating between those two is is very frustrating so i i love encouraging people to give rewards that are not necessarily magic items and certainly not magic item rewards over and over and over again because it totally diminishes how special they are and it's harder to pick relevant magic items the more magic items you give out um, like something I really like to do and I've done a lot is like also give people access to like allies as rewards or like resources. So it's like, okay, well you helped out this person and you dealt with them in such a way that you have formed this great relationship. So now whenever you need a rare book, you have somebody you can go and talk to or like you made a contact in the thieves guild. So whenever you're in this city, you automatically succeed on these types of checks or things like that. I like it. Okay. So my favorite section is homework. homework. We, can we think of anything that a person could go listen to, read, engage with, play, if it's a video game or a board game, um, to get ideas of how to give rewards? Yeah. I mean, I... I draw so much of my inspiration for this from video games. I feel now like indie publishers in particular, the the powers that you unlock as you advance in games are great ways to look at how to scale 
powers or just the the types of options available. So when you look at skill trees, the way things build on top of each other, or you have games, you know, like Legend of Zelda, where you need this one piece of equipment that can now do this specific thing. uh, Looking at those formulas, I I think is an incredible source of inspiration. Yeah, the video game that came to my mind as you were just kind of referencing that last thought was the idea of world of warcraft when you defeat a boss there is a set of gear that can come off of that boss and all of those pieces could theoretically help like one person it's interesting to think of the idea of adding that to D where like a, a there's still some randomness if that's what you're going for if that's what you like if that's what your players like that there's some randomness that when the boss is defeated, that something they have would be useful for someone. Um, because the idea that like all these things are just useful for the one character that mimics what the, the bad, the big bad does. Like, let's say they have a bunch of armor and a sword. You're like, well, I mean, mm-hmm. we all can figure out that there's just <laughs> the one person in the party that's going to use that. Yeah. Um, but the idea that the additional things that they may have, That there is some variance to it, but then just like having almost a a literal loot table um, as well would refer to it. Right now, I'm trying to think of examples and I think I just have Hollow Knight stuck in my head. Just the, the... The balance of the different types of things you can get is totally what you're going for. Because like in that game, you can get money that you can spend on objects. Uh, And these objects, you know, they might be new map locations or information or just make your life easier in some way. You can also find a limited selection of these like super incredible magic items that, you know, make you run faster and jump further. And you can also learn like magic power abilities uh, in that game. And then as well, on top of that, you can go to like a smith and upgrade your blade. So having all of those different kinds of options. Oh, you can also get like these mystical charms that allow you to do certain weird things in different combinations. So looking at the, I think the balance of all the different types of rewards, I think Hades is another great example of this. So like roguelite games are awesome to look at for this because especially because you do usually have like either consumable things or things that break eventually or you have to start over you get new things that are slightly different um there's just so many great sources of inspiration um to think help you think outside of the box yeah about what what to give your players and what different ratios you want to give them too yeah and then, I mean, I would be remiss if we didn't, and, and Sage would haunt <laughs> you and I both if we didn't mention Magic the Gathering <laughs> um, as a fantastic source of just, I mean, that could be your literal loot table, like cards you've selected. Um, and then how interesting, how interesting, yeah. Yeah. Just pick, yeah, all the, you know, all the artifacts you have. Yeah, you just like fan out the cards in front of your players and have them pick one or two, and then that's what's there. Um, if you're doing the whole horde mentality of like, okay, you open the treasure chest and this is what's in there, sort of sort of thing. Um, okay, we've done it. We've certainly done it once again. And so the most important question I have for you is where can people go to find all of you doing, all of your doing, all that you're doing, and of course, where can they go to find – um. The Kickstarter. Yeah. And of course, going to Kickstarter, yes. typing in 2C Gaming and seeing one, all the 
the great things they're doing and then clicking. Yay. Yes. Uh, yeah. If you want to keep up with me, the best way, uh, the most rapid fire information you're going to get is if you follow me on Twitter at C Conowich. Uh, but if you want to see the full catalog of everything I've written, published, my stream schedule, podcast schedule, you can always uh, find all of that catalog at CelesteConowich.com. And yes, please, please do head over to Kickstarter. You can type in rewards and rarities, 2C Gaming. If you're following me on Twitter, I'm talking about it all the time. Uh, you can go <laughs> and check out the Kickstarter. It has currently, as of this recording, um, which is, so today is the 12th, uh, we are closing out the Kickstarter. We have 23 more days to go. Uh, so December 5th, 2021 is going to be the end of the Kickstarter. So go, make sure to head over and back, uh, check it out. Um, even if you don't want to back, you can just go and pick up the free PDF of the promo, which is like 20 pages that would be in the book, and write smack in there. In that free resource, I provide magic item pricing. Easy, Boom. simple to use magic item pricing. I did it. I solved it. I, <laughs> I, It's right there for you. I priced out a ton of SRD magic items so you can see the system work. I also provided step-by-step -step guidelines for pricing your own magic items or any other third-party magic items. So please do head over, check that out. Even if you don't have the funds, get that PDF because um, there's some good stuff. Good stuff in there. Boom. We just want to thank Celeste again for coming on, stepping out of the gym, joining us here on the main pod, and definitely helping us better understand how, when, and what to reward players with. Uh, I keep saying players, and I definitely mean player characters. But if you want to get a hold of us and let us know how you have been rewarding your player characters at your own table you can always email us at dungeonmasterblock at gmail.com and of course head over to Facebook and Twitter where you can find us follow us and keep track of all the amazing things we're doing and as always the Dungeon Masters Block is a proud member of the Block Party Podcast Network where you can check out other shows like Detentions and Dragons We're So Bad at Adventuring DMnastics and more but that's it. So thanks again for listening to the Dungeon Master's Block, the place where we come to talk about the Dungeon Master, the most important person in the game, the only person capable of playing God, killing characters, and lowering the ego of everyone else at the table. I'm DM Neil. Good night, good luck, and keep on Dungeon Mastering. Goodbye.